0: This is a podcast about Jeopardy!
1: Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy! podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy! episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily.
0: And I'm Kyle. And we are back in 2022. Happy New Year, everybody hope your holiday season went well and that you are all staying safe in this uncertain time mm. but we are here to talk about jeopardy and wouldn't you know it even though we took a couple weeks off we're still talking about amy schneider returning amy schneider. champion amy schneider powerhouse unstoppable of course until the one game where she she is stopped cuz everyone loses at some point, Uh, Amy Schneider. This is the week of January 3rd, and on Monday, January 3rd, we have the contestants, Kate Woomer Dieters, a legal services attorney from Raleigh, North Carolina, Harsh Daga, an analyst from Brooklyn, New York, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 23-day cash winnings are now $855,600. We have the Jeopardy round categories: Billboard Top 200 Albums in 2021, World Geography, Place Your Fast Food Order (you have to name the restaurant), Deadly Sins Elsewhere, American Poetry, and I'll Punch You with Punch in quotation marks.
1: Mhm. I thought the the rebound on the $1000 level of the Billboard Top 200 Albums in 2021 was funny. Uh, the clue was the best of this Canadian band, Volume 1, included Rockstar, How You Remind Me, and 17 other songs. Kate tried Who Is Arcade Fire. That's not correct. Harsh got the rebound with Nickelback. Uh, Ken noted that Nickelback is never the wrong answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. When did Nickelback become the joke that Nickelback is.
1: I don't know.
0: Because I don't remember there being a moment. I also don't remember there being a transition period. I remember Nickelback being popular, and then I just didn't pay attention, and then all of a sudden, Nickelback it is a joke. was a joke, yeah. Yeah, which, whatever. I mean, I guess that's how things happen. Yeah. Uh, but if someone could pinpoint it, if anyone could mm-hmm. be like, this was the moment. This yeah. was when they jumped the shark.
1: Pop culture historians, we need to know. yes. Which
0: I know is surprising, because we have both firmly established that we are very good at pop culture.
1: hmm Yes. In what universe is what restaurant has the Chalupa Supreme and Nachos Bel Grande $1,000 question?
0: $1,000 question? $1,000! Half of the name is in Bel Grande. It's like, <laughs> it's already there. I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. I, I had the same feeling. I was like, that's the thousand. Sometimes I do think that they put at the high level, they put like buzzer speed mm. tests. Because yeah. so, there there are some times when it's like, why is that the one you put there?
1: Mm-hmm. Like there are,
0: there are plenty of others in that category that were more difficult. Yeah.
1: Daily Double number one is in the world geography category at the $600 level. And Kate finds it at the seventh pick. Uh, She is at negative 400 at this point, but she wagers a thousand. Definitely the right move here Um, and gets the clue. Named for a monarch, this landmark is found on the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe. And she knows that's Victoria Falls. So that gets her out of the red and up to 600. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Amy is solidly in the lead. With 11,800. Harsh is at 1200. Katie is at 2400. And we have the double jeopardy categories history plays, subtitles, physical science, on the political spectrum, 1950s television, and be very quiet. I feel like we had a lot of deep dive topics come up this week i didn't even mention there was a Gwendolyn brooks clue in the single jeopardy round and then um right. a joan a joan of arc clue in the history plays category mm-hmm. those are both deep dives i've done and i feel like there was was there one that surely there was maybe maybe it wasn't today i'm trying to remember
0: yeah i don't remember if there was one today but yeah, yeah. there have been a couple a couple this week and of course as we you know we joke about recovering all of human knowledge but Jeopardy does recycle things quite a bit, so mm-hmm. the more we talk about, the more often we're going to see these things come up. I mean, yep. it makes sense. So,
1: yeah. On the political spectrum, turned out to be all political terms um, with a color mm-hmm. connection. So, uh, the Green Party, the Red Flag, at the twelve hundred dollar clue. The color connection was in the clue. It was yeah. Winston Churchill's best female friend, Violet Bonham Carter, was the first woman president of this party. The opposite of Winston's. Uh, and we tried what is Labor. They were looking for the Liberal Party. So Violet was the was the spectrum connection mm-hmm. there. Good gimmick, I thought. Yeah,
0: yeah, a little yeah. little more than just just like name a political party thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah, it was nice. Daily Double number two is in the subtitles category. It's at the eight hundred dollar level. Pick number six in the round. Harsh finds it. He is at two thousand and he wagers two thousand, mm-hmm. as well he should. He gets the clue. I want to believe, or quote, I want to believe the two thousand eight film sequel based on this TV show. And he was shaking his head from the moment it was revealed. Uh, he has no idea, and he guesses what is Ripley's Believe It or Not, but that is The X-Files. Apparently, The X-Files has had some movie sequels. I never watched
1: The X-Files. I've watched, like, a handful of episodes. I was a little young for it when it was airing. That's me too, yeah. I was. You were was, way too young for it when it was
0: airing. Well, I mean, right? I mean, there were other people my age who watched it with their parents, but my parents did not allow me to watch it, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That we can it can be argued, I guess, but
1: yeah, <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I've never gone back to it though,
1: yeah, um, that I want to believe is like um a catchphrase uh associated with the x files pretty strongly, um mm-hmm. but if you don't you know if you don't know that, you don't have a whole lot to to go on here. But at the very next clue, uh, Harsh Finds Daily Double number three. Woo, uh, back to back. Yeah, back to back. It's uh, at the $1,200 level of history plays. He's at zero at this point, uh, but 2000 is the maximum, so he wagers 2000 again. And this time he gets the clue. In 1934, December was an apt month for the Broadway opening of a play about this Pennsylvania place where George Washington was tested and he gets that one correct, uh, with Valley Forge. Um, so that brings him right back up to where he was before finding the two Daily Doubles back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And uh, and on they go.
0: Yeah. Ken says, you know, no harm, no foul. And I don't necessarily agree, because now the Daily Doubles are gone.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, a missed opportunity to make a large amount of money.
0: is not the same. Yeah. Yeah uh amy going into final jeopardy is at 31000 which is an easy lock position cuz harsh is at 3200 and kate is at 8000 they have the final jeopardy category sculptors and the clue los angeles artist george stanley sculpted this first handed out at a private banquet on may 16 1929 harsh wrote what is oscar at the very last minute which is enough. Uh, that that's what they're looking for—the Oscar, the Academy Award, or Oscar statue. Um, and he wagered three thousand. Kate got it correct with what is the Oscar statue, and she wagered one thousand, so she keeps herself in second place. And Amy also got correct with what is the Oscar, and she wagered eleven thousand, bringing her up to forty-two thousand dollars for today.
1: So on Tuesday, January fourth, we have the contestants: Greg Morrow, a writer from Tiverton, Rhode Island; George Adisanya a consultant from Washington, D.C., and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 24-day cash winnings total 897600 And our Jeopardy! round categories are waterlogged reading, taglines of scary movies, getting adjectival, model railroading, Euro pre, and and joy, and in quotation marks. I'm going
0: to stop commenting on it.
1: Mm.
0: Not because it really bothers me, but it just seems like, I don't know. If it is, if this is a, a nod to, like, my one comment that, like, I think they're retiring the potpourri thing. <laughs> uh, okay, we get it. You're not. We get yeah. it.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they've, been, they've been leaning heavily on potpourri. Yeah, lots recently. of
0: breeze. Yeah. Uh, there was a triple stumper in that taglines category at the $400 level mm-hmm. from 2006. Sit back, relax, enjoy the fright. Uh, George guessed what is Freddy versus Jason, which I guess is an okay guess. Um, but that's Snakes on a Plane.
1: Snakes on a Plane.
0: Cinema Classic. With snakes. Samuel
1: L. Jackson. Samuel
0: L. Snakes on a Plane. We, uh, my wife and I still quote it to each other Mm-hmm. or misquote it usually when it has to do with the kids and we're tired of a certain activity.
1: Yeah. I, I saw that one in the theater.
0: Oh yeah. So did I more than once. Yeah.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. It turned out fine, but at the, at the $200 level of taglines of scary movies, uh, We had 2020, What You Can't See Can Hurt You. They were looking for the Invisible Man there, and Amy got it with the the Mm -hmm. included. That is the canonical example of when the article matters, when it really does matter whether you use an article or not, because Invisible Man is a different work.
0: Daily Double number one is in the euro per category at the $600 level. Greg finds it. It's only the second pick in the round. Uh, he got the first one, so he is at $200, and he wagers 1000 And he gets a clue. A medieval tapestry that depicts the Norman conquest of England in 1066 hangs in a museum in this French town. And he gets it correct with what is Bayou. Or he, he pronounced it more like Bayou which I guess is kind of... I don't know. I don't speak French well enough to really get the, you know, whether it's by you or by O.
1: Yeah, no, by O is not really correct. Um, But I think how exactly to pronounce an E-U-X is not clear enough to enough people that I I can see them being sort of very flexible on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, So he gets it correct. So at the end of the Jeopardy round... Uh, Amy is in the lead at 9,400, George is at 1,600, and Greg is at 4,600, and we get the double jeopardy categories, famous Americans on stage, The New Testament, giving you the third degree, recent pop culture, science, and middle J, with J in quotation marks.
1: I ended up guessing correctly, but sometimes I feel like the, uh, and so did did Amy, um, but sometimes I feel like jeopardy's decision to go with king james always makes things more challenging Uh, at the two thousand dollar level of the new testament uh the clue was the king james version gives us a line heard at weddings what therefore god hath joined together let not man do this Mm -hmm. um they were looking for put asunder amy got that that typically gets translated in more modern versions as separate
0: yeah because that's a very old way of putting it
1: (laughs) yes so you know you just had to kind of have the line in your head from you know a very kind of traditional language church service or from a movie or something i guess
0: yeah Um, if, if you've heard it before yeah the eight hundred dollar level of giving you the third degree th- threw me off. I was really confused by it. it the, the clue is in the NATO phonetic alphabet. This name comes third, and like thinking back on it, like after the clue was was read, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess the wording does make sense. But what I heard that clue as is which which is the third name.
1: Ooh, in the yeah, nato phonetic see alphabet how you would and i was like it that way. oh yeah. man
0: how am i gonna?" i was like okay Char- uh, charlie uh foxtrot uh, like going through the like things i was like is it mm-hmm. is it mike is it mike because i know mike is one and oscar is another is it? it's one of those two and amy said charlie and i was like oh oh it was it was that simple my yeah. bad
1: <laughs> plus with all these millennials naming their kids stuff like who can say really that echo isn't a name so you know, echo
0: actually is a fairly pretty name it would be yeah. a pretty name that, yeah. That's not a bad yeah, it name. Would, yeah foxtrot wouldn't be so into you.
1: there's probably a foxtrot out there somewhere sorry foxtrot hey you know what i think your name's fine
0: <laughs> i don't
1: <so> <laughs> but it's
0: also not your
1: fault so yeah. i don't blame you <laughs> yep
0: just kidding everybody's name is perfect and wonderful as long as you want it to be that.
1: Yep. Anyway, uh, daily double number two is in the giving you the third degree category at the $1,600 level. And Greg finds it at the 20th pick. He has 5,000 at this point. Amy's up at 23,800. Uh, George is at 6,800. Uh, Greg wagers 5,000, everything, but 500 and gets the clue. One country and parts of two others share this third-largest island. He tries New Guinea. Uh, Ken says, "No, I'm sorry. You were in the right part of the world. It is Indonesia, but it's uh, Brunei, Indonesia, and Malaysia on Borneo."
0: Yeah, he, he gives a whole explanation before a he whole, says what.
1: <laughs> like Ken, Ken got very didactic a couple of times. He
0: did. Week. Yeah, he really went for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there were sometimes when it was like hosting, but also like coaching, but also like
0: teaching. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, I like I I enjoy Ken, but some of those moments were like okay, man, okay.
1: Gotta let somebody else be in charge. Some of this guy. <laughs> right,
0: the yeah. contestants are the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but yes, it is in fact Borneo. Uh, And Daily Double number three is in the Famous Americans on Stage category at the $1,200 level. Amy finds it. Pick number 25. She's at $24,200. George is at $8,800. And Greg is at $500. Uh, And she wagers just $2,000. There's a picture. And we get the clue. In 1908, this author toured in a stage show called The Fairy Log and Radio Plays. And... She got it correct with uh, who is L. Frank Baum. Part of the picture had Oz Mm -hmm. in the background. So that kind of kind of kludgy in there.
1: Yep. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy's in a lock position again with 27,400. George is at 9,600. Greg's at 1,700. And we have the final Jeopardy category, word origins. And the clue from the Greek for ring, the first ones were built by the Romans including one that could hold 250,000. Um this was a triple stumper. Greg tried what is an amphitheater that is not correct. He's wagered everything but a dollar. Uh, George tried what is arena and he's wagered 61.99 that drops him down to 34.01 so he's going to finish in second place. Oh he would have he would have finished in second place regardless cuz he mm-hmm. dropped down to $1 to like to $1 above Twice Greg's score. So he was guaranteeing himself a second place finish. And Amy, who was in a lock position, also responds, what is arena? Uh, She's wagered 7,000. So she's leaving herself a little bit of a buffer over Mm. twice George's score. Um, Drops her down to 20,400. Circus is what they were looking for. Like, Like the Circus Maximus. Uh, Yep. Which we had a deep dive about a while back. We did. Yeah. Um, But that gives Amy her 25th win as we head into Wednesday.
0: Yes, indeed. And on Wednesday, we have the contestants Chantal Wynne, a biophysicist from Boulder, Colorado. Woo! Mike Parks, a software engineer from Golden Valley, Minnesota, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, who's... 25 day cash winnings, total $918,000. We have the Jeopardy round categories, which cabinet department, handy responses, a player to be named right now, my single just dropped, rain, and your parade. That my single just dropped category was about people who became single. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very clever. Yeah. I like that. And we did have a uh I don't know, a be more specific that I I don't know how I feel about. I guess it makes sense. Um if, at the $800 level the clue was this pair, a novelist and a poet, ran off together in July 1814 but didn't marry until December 30th 1816. Uh, Amy said, "Who are the Shelleys?" and then I'm pretty sure Ken was looking at the judges because it took him a bit to, say, be more specific. And she got Mary and Percy Shelley, Um, which I I guess is fine. But I also, I'm not sure what other Shelleys.
1: Yeah, it's not like there's another famous set of married Shelleys. I mean, maybe there are, and I just don't know about them. Yeah, I think if they were asking for just one of their names... You, you might get asked to be more specific if you said Shelley to demonstrate that you know which you know that it's Mary Shelley and not Percy Shelley who wrote Frankenstein or you know whatever but like right
0: but when you're talking about both of them to, to have to specify both of their names is like well okay yeah I, I guess
1: on the other hand right right above that at the $600 level uh, they were asking about a man who in 1895 defended his thesis on magnetism and was drawn to wed marie sklodowska also a towering intellect and mike rang in and said who is curie and that was enough
0: yeah i guess because i already gave you marie's name
1: yeah but like
0: yeah yeah
1: it just uh, yeah it it seems inconsistent yeah when you have to provide a first name and when not within the category a little nice. bit oh well daily double number one comes up in the your parade category at the 600 level and amy finds it at the 24th pick she's at 7200 to mike's 2200 and chantal's 1600 and she wagers 3000 and gets the clue ftd has been affiliated with this annual parade for more than 60 years uh, that is the rose parade she gets that one right we had a uh, a brief but uh, enthusiastic debate um, among my family shortly before the Rose Parade about whether the Rose Parade or the Rose Bowl is the kind of primary event of that, you know, that sort of sequence Whole of deal. events. Yeah, yeah. Uh, With the football fans being like, obviously, the parade is like to celebrate that the Rose Bowl is about to happen. Um, Those of us who were advocating for parade being the bigger thing uh, found that um, the Rose Parade was a thing for like over an annual thing for like over a decade before they added a football game to help finance it. So (laughs) that (laughs) that was our that was our main argument once we found that. I think that's Um, a pretty good argument. Yeah.
0: I will also Um, say there are more marching bands involved in the parade than there are in the football
1: game. So, mm, for my mind, there we go. The parade is better. That settles it. (laughs) Conclusive.
0: The number of marching bands involved is directly proportional to the quality of the thing. Mm -hmm. And I will stand by that as a generality for everything.
1: Yep. So, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's in the lead with 11,000. Mike's at 2,400. Chantal's at 2,600. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Lit in the Future Tense, Islands, Real People on Film, Lesser Known Composers, Economy Size, and antonyms with A in quotation marks.
0: I liked the lesser known composers category. Um, I knew most of the names that were the, the lesser known composers, but none of them were the required response. Uh, which made it made it more accessible like yeah
1: uh, that seems that seems appropriate right like yeah i mean tra- it's right there in the name
0: I, it would seem unreasonable for you to have to know who Georgi Sviridov was i don't i don't know apparently he succeeded shostakovich which was a, mm. a triple stumper as the l- premier composer in soviet russia although you could look into Shostakovich and his relationship with the Soviet regime. It is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not going to go. I think I talked about that before on the podcast a little bit.
1: But. Yeah, a little bit.
0: And Florence Price at the $1,200 level. Florence Price based her fantasy Negre uh, number 1 on Sinner, Please Don't Let This Harvest Pass. This type of folk hymn That was also a triple stumper. That's a spiritual. Uh, Florence Price was an important figure in African-American music.
1: Yeah. I did not know of her, so... Um
0: good good person to look into.
1: Yeah. The I I wasn't sure if it was distaste or uncertainty or both at the two thousand dollar level of lit in the future tensed, but I enjoyed uh Amy's uh demeanor as she guessed who is Rand. Um, (laughs)
0: I had the same exact thought. I was like, man, I'd have a hard time not putting a whole bunch of snark into that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, I remember like the, the, uh, the internet being amused at your, uh, your facial expression when you had to respond, uh, what is no child left 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 behind. behind. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, yeah, very, very similar sort of, sort of, uh. Vibes there. Vibe. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were asking about Iron Man's novella Anthem, which I had not heard of, although I sort of it sounded rand-ish from the from the yeah clue. we've entered a there. dark
0: age of collectivism where the using the word i is punishable by death mm-hmm. it's like come on yes this is ugh. Yep. i don't want to yep. get into it
1: mm-hmm. yep yeah
0: uh shakespeare and love came up again mm-hmm. in real mm-hmm. people on film at the 800 i'm mm-hmm. not gonna read the clue but it's just yeah i know i know i will see it <laughs> I, I promise I will see it. Yeah. You don't need to keep reminding me, Jeopardy! writers. I will see it. It's been hyped up. It better be the best dang movie ever made because my expectations are very high now. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
1: Yeah. I, I, I saw it come, come and go and I was like, oh, great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Daily yeah. Double number two is in the antonyms category. At the twelve hundred dollar level, pick number eleven, and Chantal finds it. She's at fifty four hundred. Amy's at twenty thousand six hundred. Mike's at fifty two hundred, and she wagers uh, just two thousand personally. And I think we, you can probably predict, listeners, that we would say you should bet it all here because Amy is way too far ahead for you to not just go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she gets the clue antonym of take the throne, which can actually. I, with with your comment on coaching, he like he talked a little bit before she gave her wager, and then she gave her wager, and he reminded her that it was in the category antonyms before he read the mm-hmm. clue, uh, and it's of take the throne, and she couldn't get there, and she guessed what is ascend, uh, but the antonym of taking the throne would be abdicate,
1: right? And then uh, daily double number three comes up at the twenty first pick. It's at the eight hundred dollar level of economy size, and Mike finds this one. So one daily double apiece, which is kinda nice. He's at sixty eight hundred to Amy's twenty seven thousand eight hundred and Chantal's five thousand. He wagers everything but a dollar.
0: Yeah, man. Being saucy
1: yeah um I, I mean I sort of get I sort of get it right like we've talked about like at the very end like if it's really important to you to be like standing at the podium during final jeopardy, then that's that's kind of the case for not risking dropping to zero right so he gets the clue this imperceptible term is used for unseen forces within a market economy that balance self-interest with the benefit of the whole he, guesses what is the invisible hand, but he seems like he's just saying that because he can't think of something more obscure. That was my read anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then he seemed very pleased and relieved when it turned out to actually be the invisible hand. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a good moment. Yeah, so that brings him up uh, to 13,599. So he hasn't quite gotten to the point of uh, breaking Amy's lock. But he's close. Yeah. But then, as the last few clues play out, Amy got in on several and was able to extend her lead a bit.
0: Yeah, and we had a we had a reversal in that antonyms category at the sixteen hundred oh, right. dollar level. Uh, the clue was of clear having only one possible meaning. Amy guessed what is ambivalent, um, and that was ruled incorrect. Mike picked up picked it up with what is uh, ambiguous. But then later, before the Daily Double, they reverse that for Amy, saying that in fact they would accept ambivalent. I, I know, I'm not a I'm not a, you know, expert on definitions and all that, but I don't I don't see those as being synonyms. Yeah. And because of that She's at thirty-one thousand going into final jeopardy, which is a lock position, and Mike is at fourteen thousand three hundred ninety-nine. If she were thirty-two hundred lower, mm. it wouldn't be a lock. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that was a I think that was a bad call that resulted in her being in a lock position in final. It didn't yeah. ultimately did not end up mattering with the way that final went. So mm-hmm. not particularly concerned about it, but I just remember thinking that. So. Going into final, Amy's at 31,000, Mike's at 14,399, and Chantel is at uh, 5,400. Final Jeopardy! category is the 1950s, and the clue, the first TV debate between presidential candidates of the same party involved him and future running mate e- Eastus Kefauver. I think it's Eastus Kefauver. Yeah, I, I'm just going to leave it at that, because who knows. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, other people know. I don't, and I'm not worried about it. Chantal wrote who is Dewey, uh, but no, that is uh, Dewey was 1948, if I recall correctly, against Truman. So she loses everything but a dollar. Mike wrote who is Landon. Uh, that is also incorrect. I think Landon was also 1940s, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And he only bet 20 bucks because why not? And Amy got it correct with who is Adelaide Stevenson. Uh, technically, Adelaide Stevenson II, I believe. Because the previous Adelaide Stevenson was also vice president. Yeah, that's that is correct. So Amy ended up being the only one to get it right anyway. So she still would have won, even if it hadn't been a lock position. So. that's
1: fine. Yep. So on Thursday, we have the contestants: Jeff Hoppy, a delivery driver from Fairfax, Virginia; Terry Wolfish Cole, a professional storyteller from West Simsbury, Connecticut; and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 26-day cash winnings at this point total of $950,000. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, fly by night, movies by quote, job description, malpractice, M-A-L in quotation marks, uh, those letters will be- begin each correct response, anniversaries, and it'll be my tweet. It's quoting people on twitter yes people or things (laughs) on twitter
0: gritty's Uh, a people big ben isn't though
1: big ben is not a people
0: (laughs) big ben is not a people
1: yeah apparently big ben has a twitter account which (laughs) that's
0: not surprising yeah daniel craig saying ladies and gentlemen the weekend has a twitter account so
1: checking now to see oh no this is that's really all it does (laughs) just on the hour it tweets the word bong oh, however really? many times <laughs> that's all it does oh
0: yeah, that's really good <laughs> i like that a lot
1: yeah um yeah so uh so yeah uh the clue the clue was uh just uh was indicating that um at 3 a.m london time an unofficial account of the this landmark let us know bong 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 but like that's all the twitter account does it doesn't do like you know here's a photo of big ben like you know like whatever you know big ben fun facts just it's just
0: it's just big ben uh, chiming the time
1: yeah (laughs) if you're not
0: close enough to hear it that's very considerate of it
1: uh god bless the internet (laughs) Everybody did a good job remembering the category in malpractice, unlike me, the person who guessed husky for the dog breed. (laughs) Oh, malamutes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I like Alaskan malamutes. Yeah. They're pretty cool. And really, everyone in this game just did a great job. Yeah. The Corriette score for this game was 50,400. Wow. Yeah, they did fantastic. Just across the board. Um, Daily Double number one is in the Anniversaries category at the $800 level. Pick number 13, Amy finds it. She's at $4,200. Terry's at $1,600. Jeff's at $3,800. And she wagers $2,000. Gets the clue. In January 2015, 1,500 military reenactors marked the bicentennial of this battle at Chalmette Battlefield. And she clued in, I think, on the French-sounding thing and said, what is the Battle of Waterloo? Or what is Waterloo? Uh, But it was the wrong war. They were looking for the Battle of New Orleans from the War of
1: 1812.
0: Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy is in second place at 5,400. Terry's at 4,200 and Jeff is at 5,600. And they have the double Jeopardy categories, the Missouri Compromise, psychological terms. TV science, religion, also a cooking verb, and literary characters.
1: There were only two clues in the whole game went without a correct response. Mm-hmm. But one of them was in the religion category, uh, and I just thought the whole interaction was hilarious, especially given that Ken is hosting.
0: Yeah! Sorry, Ken. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the clue was in 2018. It was at the $400 level. Uh, it, the clue was in 2018, the Mormon or LDS church announced a course correction to stress this full name that mentions the Savior. Amy tried, what is the Church of Latter-day Saints? That's not correct. Jeff tried, what is the Church of Latter-day Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> um, so close, Jeff. Uh it is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so and, and Ken is Ken is Mormon himself, which makes it that much funnier. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. He is a member of that their church.
1: Yep. I mean, I always like the wordplay categories, but I thought also a cooking verb was a fun wordplay category.
0: Oh yeah, yes, it was.
1: Really? Yeah. To fish or hunt for Game It Legally. That's poach. That was at the 800. We had dental accessory popularized by hip-hop stars. That is grill. Grill. At the $2,000 level, we had in Exodus a plague afflicting the Egyptians. That is boil. Yes. Yeah. So, like, that, I thought that was a fun, fun one. Daily Double number two is at the $2,000 level of religion. Amy finds it at the fourteenth pick. She has seventeen thousand to Terry's ninety-four hundred and Jeff's seventy-six hundred, and she wagers four thousand and gets the clue. In twenty eighteen, members of this Christian group released a very quiet podcast of a silent meeting of worship, and she got that one correct. With who are the Quakers, um, also known as the Religious Society of Friends, if you ever hear that term, that's that's the same group being referenced.
0: Yep. And daily double number 3 is in the Missouri Compromise category at the $2,000 level. Pick number 18 and Amy also finds it. She's at 20,600 over Terry's 11,000 and Jeff's 8,800 and she wagers 2,000. Uh a modest number there. Uh, and she gets the clue the compromise was repealed in 1854 by this act with a hyphenated two-state name spurring Abe Lincoln's return to politics. And she gets correct with what is the Kansas-Nebraska Act.
1: So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy's at 25400 Terry's at 13400 Jeff is at 11600 Um, So it is not a lot game. And, uh, I think I may have had a problem with my recording um to miss this or or maybe I just wasn't paying attention but apparently Ken got fairly detailed about strategy at this point.
0: He yeah, um, <laughs> kind of did.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so and, Andy at the Jeopardy fan says that he he thought that Ken's comments um giving the exact margin and noting that the game wasn't a runaway were were uh a bridge too far he says yes i
0: i agree yeah
1: Yeah, that that seems correct because like what when you're in that position like you're kind of hoping that like somebody's gonna miss something and make a suboptimal wager, right like right
0: like right
1: yeah So we have the final Jeopardy category, historic buildings, and the clue, begun in the 1070s with stone from Cain, it was meant to dominate both a skyline and the hearts and minds of a conquered populace. Jeff gets this one correct with what is the Tower of London. Uh, So Britain had recently been conquered by the Normans, and... uh, Kane, I guess, is in is in Normandy. Ken notes, uh, Jeff has wagered everything. That brings him up to twenty three thousand two hundred. Terry tried, what is Buckingham Palace? Uh, that's not correct. He's wagered ten thousand six hundred, so that'll drop him down to twenty eight hundred, and he will finish in third place. And Amy has the correct response with what is the Tower of London? And she's wagered two thousand, bringing her up to twenty seven thousand four hundred, and that gives her her twenty seventh win.
0: Yes, and she is, in all likelihood, one win away from a million dollars. Yep. Wow. Yeah. We'll see if she does it on Friday. And on Friday, we have the contestants, Sean Sweeney, a speech-language pathologist from Dorchester, Massachusetts. Now, it's not Dorster or anything like that, right? No. no. (laughs) Okay. It's not. Just want to be sure. It's
1: Dorchester. It It has an actual H in there.
0: Right, right. Because suddenly rules matter.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, I-, I thought you were about to make, uh, like try and attempt some kind of speech language pathologist like thick Boston accent joke. Oh, oh
0: no! I would never do that. That would be insensitive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, my. I don't I don't have enough I don't have enough of a Massachusetts accent to be able to convincingly say Dorchester the way that you would if you had a real Boston accent. Yeah,
0: I can I can hear it in my head. Yeah, I can't reproduce it. Uh, Also, we have Patsy Lester, a social studies teacher from Patchogue, New York, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 27 day cash winnings total nine hundred seventy seven thousand four hundred dollars. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, opening lines in Dr. Seuss. Somebody recently talked about that. Yeah. Metaphors. Their first top 10 solo hit. It was 1970s America, man. Move it. And double time. That uh, that Dr. Seuss category. Right, right up that whole uh, deep mm-hmm. dive alley mm-hmm. there.
1: That's right. Uh, yeah. The deep dive right before the break. Before we we took a couple of weeks off for uh, for Christmas and New Year's, um, was uh, was about Dr. Seuss. So that was that was fun. I don't think my deep dive would have helped you all that much.
0: No, I mean aside from just like reminding you of the titles
1: mm-hmm. and yeah. things
0: like that, like the
1: the Sneeches, the
0: Sneeches at the thousand dollar level, being reminded of what that particular word is, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Horton at the eight hundred dollar level, we mentioned Horton. Here's a who.
0: Yeah, my kids this Christmas season were way into reading How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm, Yeah. So I do have that book memorized at this point, which Mm -hmm. is which is very nice. Uh, So the $600 level, you know, but the Grinch, who lived just north of this place, did not. Uh, It was Whoville. Yeah. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason.
1: Could be perhaps that his His shoes shoes were were too tight. tight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Ethiopia also came up in the move it category at 800 at the 800 dollar level. Like, really, if you're going to be on Jeopardy soon, study Ethiopia. Like, know that. E- like, or just remember that if they're asking about an African country, be like, it could be it, Ethiopia is a top three pick now. Uh, the clue is in the 1930s, the fourth century obelisk of Axum was taken to Italy, but in 2005, returned to this African nation and rebuilt there. Uh, that is Ethiopia, and if you know a little bit of history about that, Italy conquered Ethiopia in the 1930s before, before World War II.
1: Mm-hmm. There's, there was some uh, stuff on Twitter regarding uh, the $600 level of their first top 10 solo hit. Uh, the clue there was Pillow Talk in 2016 by a former boy bander and Amy Rangan, who said who is Zayn. Zayn Malik, who I guess is mononymous. Is that right?
0: Uh, yes, he has released music Yeah. under that name.
1: I guess there were some tweets with people saying, there's no way she could have known that unless Jeopardy tells the contestants what to study. And uh, like,
0: that really, that's the one you hone in on <laughs> like recent pop culture
1: yeah Yeah. how could anybody know recent we expect these eggheads to know every random detail about every random battle but like but
0: not top 10 <laughs> solo hits
1: like yeah come on yeah no and, and nobody's getting a study guide like
0: oh yeah i mean on. that aside yes
1: i've got uh, every time people ask if there's a study guide that you get that tells you what your categories are going to be i just want to like jump out of the window the
0: study guide is called watching the show Mm-hmm. and paying attention to the world around you.
1: The idea, like, it just blows my mind that people think that, like, the contestants are provided a study guide and then still stare blankly <laughs> at the most yeah. way. Walk like, are you kidding out. me?
0: If I had a study
1: guide, I, like, I would have memorized literally everything. The everything about all of those topics. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even take that long. No, it's
0: like, it is only 61 questions. Yeah and then what do you do for the next day Mm -hmm. right do you get the do Mm -hmm. you get the study guide for the for like your date and like 20 shows beyond that like what 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 (laughs) Uh.
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i'm aware that there are people who like would get like you know a 94 on a test and be like that's pretty good instead of what happened to my other six points (laughs) but
0: like, right, some like of us are like,
1: "Oh, I assume they give you a study guide." I am like, "What?"
0: <laughs> some of us might be like, "What happened to our other six points?"
1: Yep. Um. Yeah you you don't get on Jeopardy unless you are a "What happened to my other six points?" kind of person. I think so. Um, yeah. No. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I am sure there are some who you can be good at trivia without being a type A academic.
1: Mm, yeah, that is that is true. That is true. But yeah, no, no, we're, we're not getting study guides.
0: Which hopefully all of the listeners understand that at this point.
1: Yeah. It, it's just, it's such a common misconception and just such a huge pet peeve for me. Yeah. No, there's, they don't give like, you a study guide.
0: No. <laughs> you have to try to get on. It's They're not like coming to you and being like, here, you want to be on a game show? We'll give you the answers. <laughs> like, what, what? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they sought me out to be on TV because of my, you know, sterling, exciting personality and uh, utterly not generic, like, normal white guy appearance.
1: They liked how easy it was for you to smile into the camera.
0: Yeah. That's why. Oops, (laughs) oops, tricks on them.
1: (laughs) Uh, they, we've told this story on the podcast before, but they they had to reshoot Kyle's like um like like it like the intro shot where they're where they're introducing the contestant. Uh, they had to six reshoot times. it like six times.
0: Six times because I couldn't smile without my face twitching. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of adrenaline. It is, and it is a long time to hold a smile if you're not a person yeah. who like just smiles all the time, which mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm just terribly unhappy. I I don't mean that. I just I just have a flat affect most of the time. Hmm. And so holding a smile while they're reading a music teacher from Aurora, Colorado, Kyle Jones. It's like, I don't know. It's only like five seconds. And even that I was, man, I had a hard time. Mm hmm. We have yeah, been talking but, for way too long on whatever this yeah, is. Yeah, we sure
1: have. Uh, should we talk about the daily double? <laughs> yes. Uh, the first daily double is in the $600 level of double time, and Amy finds it at the 13th pick. She has 4200 at this point to Patsy's 200 and Sean's 800 She wagers 2000 And gets the clue. The 1946 article that coined this term for a brooding drama cited Double Indemnity, starring Barbara Stanwyck, as an example. And uh, she gets that one correct. It's film noir. Yes. Uh, So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Amy's in a solid lead with 14,800. Patsy's at 1,400. Sean is at 1,000. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories four letter birds, awards, and honors. His widow lived on pop culture monikers. That's borderline and words that start with two vowels. That's borderline turned out to be about borders.
0: Yes. I I, four letter birds. Just the category title tickled me. I liked it. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) I've really enjoyed collections on, I think maybe I saw it on Twitter. Collections of birds whose names seem to have been chosen by people who don't like birds
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's some good bird content on twitter there really is yeah yeah i I think i know what you're talking about there's one that's like shoe bills every hour or something like that Mm. and if you've seen a shoe bill you know that it is not a pretty bird (laughs) it's a ugly and potentially like terrifying bird depending on your experience in life Daily Double Number One is the very first pick in the round in pop culture monikers at the $1,200 level. Sean finds it. He's only at 1,000 because it's the first one in the round. And uh, he wagers 2,000. The scores are what were just read. And he gets a clue. Uh, born on the south side of Chicago, he originally had sense behind his name in his early rap years, but he and he's not able to put together what that means. That's common.
1: Mm hmm. I got a little stuck on 50 cent and knew that that wasn't correct but like had a hard time get, getting my brain 50 to cents cents
0: yeah yeah,
1: I uh, yeah. I yeah couldn't couldn't get my brain to change tracks for a little while i got to it right before sean ran out of time i could i could see kind of struggling to make the connection there and uh, daily double number three is just a few clues later, um, and Sean finds this one as well. It's at the eight hundred dollar level of his widow lived on, and Sean finds it at the seventh pick. He has uh, made it back up to six hundred. Amy's at nineteen thousand two hundred. Patsy's at fourteen hundred. Sean, I guess, does not want to drop below zero, so he can wager up to two thousand. He goes with just five hundred ninety mm-hmm. here. I would have gone for the 2000. Yeah. I would say like, if you, if you want to try and, you know, make a push and, and get a chance to really, you know, get back in there, you got to grab that opportunity. I I understand not wanting to, not wanting to drop into the red. Um, So his clue is this former first lady died in Austin in 2007, having outlived her husband by 34 years. Um, And he knows that one is Lady Bird Johnson. So that brings him up to, 1190 right
0: yeah 1190 yep and going into final jeopardy amy is in a locked position at thirty-two thousand four hundred. patsy is at 1000 and sean is at 2790 amy's had some very impressive games up to this point but this one mm-hmm. i mean you look at the graph it's like there's only one line that goes up <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's yeah it's, it's it's that's really tough and the thing is again like Patsy and Sean passed the test. They made it on the show. They were not Mm -hmm. given study guides. It just, you know, that's, it's hard. It's a a really tough position to be in. Um, But the final Jeopardy category is 20th century nonfiction. And the clue, Norwegian Independence Day and A Vast Blue Sea are mentioned in chapter one of a 1948 book by this man. Uh, Patsy wrote, Who is Winston Churchill? That is incorrect. And she wagered 500. Sean wrote who is Hemingway and wagered 2,500. That's also incorrect. So he drops down. And Amy got it correct with who is Heyerdahl and even spelled it correctly. Man, I did -hmm. not remember how to spell that. Thor Heyerdahl uh, wagered 9,800, brings her up to 42,200 for the day, which puts her at $1,019,600 total winnings. And 28 day champion.
1: We broke a million. Yay. Yay. Yeah.
0: I mean, we'll. Whew.
1: This was the point where my daughter turned to me and said, wait. If you go on Jeopardy, do they pay you the real dollar bucks that you won?
0: <laughs> the real dollar bucks. <laughs> the
1: real dollar bucks. Uh, and the answer
0: is yes if you win.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that that's when that's when my kid figured it out. I I don't know how. We've watched this much Jeopardy without her putting that together. You but, know, it's amazing
0: uh, the things that small children simply accept as reality with with absolutely no understanding of it.
1: Mhm. But yeah, we are we are uh, we are thrilled to see Amy break the oh, million yeah. dollar mark. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, I don't know. They're just Amy's fun to watch and the games are yeah. good.
1: So. Yeah. Great games so this is the point in the episode where we take a little break and remind you that we have a Patreon. it's patreoncom slash potent potables. Um, if you have a few bucks a month to help us offset the costs of making this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, and we greatly appreciate those of you who are already doing so. And, uh, we have a little content on there. We have, um, we, we have some, uh, some bonus stuff that we've made over the past couple of years, um, and then every week we put up the quiz questions right after we finish recording, so that you have a chance to uh, see those while we're editing the podcast before we before we get it posted. And always thinking about what else can go on there. So check that out if you're interested. And as always, we uh, want to acknowledge that there's more important causes in the world than our podcast although you know we do love we do love being here for you but a couple of things that are uh dear to our hearts and much more important than uh jeopardy chit chat are blacklivesmatter.com org, and the aapi hate gofundme uh so if you have limited resources those are those are some places where we would encourage you to uh consider helping to to make a difference yeah
0: absolutely all right emily
1: all right kyle new
0: year New me, picking deep dives that you won't guess. What do you think? Uh huh.
1: Is it the Battle of New Orleans?
0: It is not the Battle of New Orleans.
1: Ah, all right. Is it Florence Price?
0: It is not Florence Price, though. She was uh, definitely on my short list.
1: All right. Uh, what about the Mummer's Parade?
0: It is not the Mummer's Parade.
1: I didn't guess it?
0: You didn't guess it.
1: What kind of podcast is this?
0: I know. I'm sorry. 2022 is just a bad year. Let's let's just let's just skip to 2023. Uh, no, it, it is from the Tuesday game uh, in the double jeopardy round. Famous Americans on stage at the $1,600 level. A decade after surviving the Titanic, she won awards in France for interpreting Sarah Bernhardt's classic roles, and that is the unsinkable Molly Brown.
1: I had that on my list of things to maybe guess. Yeah. Well, I had a bunch of things on there. Sure. All right, great. I'm Over. I'm delighted to learn about The Unsinkable Molly Brown.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's actually like famous Americans on stage, I guess that like there's kind of like a double there because like in her later years, she became an actress and was apparently pretty good at it. And there's also a musical called The Unsinkable Molly Brown based on her life somewhat loosely. And she is not originally, but is basically from Colorado. So she is kind of a local, Hmm. like a state, uh, hero or at least figure. So, uh, I felt, I felt drawn to talking about Molly Brown. So that is what I am going to do. Great. Margaret Brown, whose maiden name was Tobin, uh, lived from July 18th, 1867 to October 26, 1932. Uh, she is known as the unsinkable Molly Brown partially that name became sort of popular like during her lifetime, but definitely afterward thanks to the uh the musical and film uh, renditions of her life. Uh, she was an American socialite and philanthropist, and her most famous event of course is surviving the sinking of the Titanic, uh, which we will talk about, but she also did some other things. Uh, She was born in a hospital near the Mississippi River in Hannibal, Missouri, which for trivia people, uh, Hannibal, Missouri should also be closely associated with Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. Her parents were Irish Catholic immigrants, John Tobin and Joanna Collins Tobin. Uh, Her siblings were Daniel Tobin, Michael Tobin, William Tobin and Helen Tobin. Uh, And both of Margaret's parents were uh, widows. Uh, had been widowed as young adults and had children from their previous marriages. Uh, so she had two half-sisters, Catherine Bridget Tobin and uh, from her father's side and Mary Ann Collins from her mother's side. Uh, at the age of 18, she relocated to Leadville, Colorado, with her siblings Daniel, Mary Ann Collins Landrigan, who had been married, and Mary Ann's husband, John Landrigan. And she uh, shared a two-room log cabin with her brother Daniel and found a job in a department store in Leadville. It was there in Leadville that she met and married James Joseph Brown, who was known as JJ. Uh, He was not a rich man, but she married him for love, uh, which apparently was against the plan that she had for herself. She wanted a rich man. She's quoted as saying I I wanted a rich man, but I loved Jim Brown. I thought about how I wanted to comfort my father and how I had determined to stay single until a man presented himself who could give to the tired old man the things I longed for him. Jim was as poor as we were and had no better chance in life. I struggled hard with myself in those days... I loved Jim, but he was poor. Finally, I decided that I'd be better off with a poor man whom I loved than with a wealthy one whose money had attracted me, so I married Jim Brown. That's very noble of her. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a, to me, that's a very, like, brutally honest perspective. Yeah. <laughs> like, she was a women's, ri- women's rights activist, and so, like, really the attitude of, like I, know, like, I know the opportunities available to me, and if I can marry a rich man, then, hey, you know, if, if all I'm gonna... B is a wife, then I might as well marry a rich man. I mean, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. And she was kind of looking at a way of taking control of her own destiny. But she did fall in love with J.J. Brown. And they were married in Leadville's Annunciation Church on the 1st of September, 1886. They had two children, Lawrence Palmer Brown, who was born in 1887, known as Larry. And Catherine Ellen Brown, who was born in 1889, known as, can you guess?
1: Um, I don't know.
0: Well, I was hoping you would guess Kate because oh, her name yeah, is Catherine. Well, but yeah. no, she is known as Helen. I don't know why. Oh, <laughs> her middle name is Ellen, but she was called Helen. Yeah, uh, there
1: there are a lot of nicknames for Catherine.
0: Helen usually isn't one of them. <laughs> yeah. But not
1: Helen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like Kathy, Kitty. Yeah, Kate. Like nope,
0: nope, <laughs> Helen. So although JJ was uh when they married, they actually came into a great deal of wealth in 1893 when his mining engineering efforts proved instrumental in the exploration of a substantial ore seam at the Little Johnny Mine, and his employer, the Ibex Mining Company, was awarded him 12,500 shares of stock and a seat on the board. Uh, And suddenly, they were very rich. And so, in Leadville, Molly, who whose name was Margaret, and actually most people called her Maggie, like who knew her. Margaret helped by uh, working in soup kitchens to assist miners' families. So very quickly she uh, took on a role of philanthropist as well, once they had the means. In 1894, the Browns bought a $30,000 Victorian mansion in Denver, and in 1897 they built a summer house, Avoca lodge in southwest denver near bear creek which is less than 10 minutes away from the home that i lived in for most of my childhood hmm. i've been to evoca lodge we just call it the molly brown house but mm-hmm. that's the official name of it uh that gave the family more social opportunities she became a charter member of the denver women's club whose mission was the improvement of women's lives by continuing education and philanthropy she became immersed in the arts and fluent in French, German, Italian, and Russian. And she founded the, a branch uh, in Denver of the Alliance Francais to promote her love of French culture. And she threw parties uh, that were attended by Denver socialites, but uh, she never was allowed entry into the most elite group, which apparently was called the Sacred 36. They had exclusive bridge parties and dinners, led by a woman named Louise Sneed Hill. So there was a bit of tension between Miss Hill and Miss Brown and that's a, apparently a fairly big plot point in the uh, in the musical and movie and like you know the, the the theatrical renditions of her life is the the tension of like their new money and they're trying to get into the social scene but uh, the the people at the top won't allow them. After 23 years of marriage, Margaret and JJ privately signed a separation agreement in 1909. They never like, reconciled, but they continued to communicate and cared for each other. The agreement gave Margaret a cash settlement, and she maintained possessions of the house uh, on Pennsylvania Street in Denver and the summer house of Oka Lodge. She also received a $700 monthly allowance, which is equivalent to $20,000 now (laughs) to continue her travels and social justice work. I'm like, oh man, $20,000 a month. So uh, she continued her... You know her, her philanthropy and all that uh, by assisting in fundraising for the for Denver's Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, which is a, a very fine looking building. Uh, it's in the Gothic style. Um, obviously, Denver is not that old, so it's not like genuine Gothic, but it, it's in that style. It was completed in 1911. Uh, she also worked with Judge Ben Lindsay. It's, it's like a historical name here in Denver uh, to help destitute children and establish one of the United States first juvenile courts, which helped form the basis of the modern U.S. juvenile court system. Uh, she had a heart for poor kids. Uh, in 1912, she spent the first few months in Paris visiting, visiting her daughter, and she was part of the John Jacob Astor, the fourth party. Uh, of course, John Jacob Astor of the Astor family. Um, She received word from Denver that her eldest grandchild was seriously ill, and she immediately booked passage on the first available liner leaving for New York, which was the RMS Titanic. Uh, Her daughter Helen was originally supposed to accompany her, but Helen uh, decided to stay in Paris, where she was studying at the Sarbonne. Mm -hmm. And so Molly got on the Titanic. Uh, She was a first-class passenger, because she was rich and could afford it. But of course, when it Started going down. She is known in particular for helping people to the lifeboats, some um, of all you know, first, second, and third classes. Uh, so the Titanic sank early on April fifteenth, nineteen twelve, after striking an iceberg uh, earlier in the, the the night. She helped others board the lifeboats, but was finally persuaded to abandon the ship and got into lifeboat number six. Historians and authors call her unsinkable Molly Brown because of how the way she helped and also. She apparently took up an oar in the lifeboat and tried to get the, uh, I guess, captain of the lifeboat to turn around and go back to try and save more passengers. Mm. The, The man in charge was Quartermaster Robert Hitchens. He was one of the six quartermasters on the Titanic. He was afraid that if they went back, that the lifeboat would either get pulled down due to suction from the sinking liner or that those in the water would swamp the boat in an effort to get in. Sources vary, apparently, as to whether the boat actually went back and if they found hmm. anyone alive. They, they argued. Brown and Hitchens argued. We know that much. But as far as the veracity of them going back or finding anybody, uh, and of course, the survivors were rescued by the ship RMS Carpathia which is another famous boat that you should know. Ship, sorry, ship that you should know. And on the Carpathia, Brown organized a survivors committee with other first-class survivors, uh, and they worked to secure the basic necessities for the second and third-class survivors and even provided informal counseling. Uh, She ran for U.S. Senate in 1914, but ended her campaign to return to France and work with the American Committee for Devastated France during World War I, uh, which was an interesting organization of uh pretty much entirely women led by philanthropist Anne morgan who was a descendant of jp morgan um, of that family and so they they did a lot of a lot of good hard work uh raising funds and providing uh medical care and and support for uh french civilians who had been affected by world war one J.J. Hmm. Brown died on September 5th, 1922, and she told newspapers, I never met a finer, bigger, and more worthwhile man than J.J. J. Brown. Hmm. He died intestate, um, and it took five years of disputation between Molly Brown and her two children to finally settle, settle the estate. Even though there was this dispute over his, his estate and a suit against the children that they settled privately, they did reconcile before her death. In 1932, during her last years, she was an actress uh, in France and the United States, and she died in her sleep on October 26, 1932, in New York City's Barbizon Hotel. Autopsies revealed that she had a brain tumor, and she was buried alongside JJ in the Cemetery of the Holy Rood in Westbury, New York. Kind of strange to me that she's buried in New York, which, I mean, like, I guess that's where Hmm. she died, but also, it would feel better to be here. I don't know, for me, anyway. Apparently, there was no eulogy at her uh, funeral. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, as far as, like, her legacy goes, right, she, she is best known as a survivor of the Titanic. And uh, especially with the fame that came from that, along with her wealth, uh, she used that to promote the issues that she felt strongly about. The rights of workers and women, education and literacy for children, historic pre- preservation, and, of course, commemoration of the, the people aboard the Titanic. And like I said, she worked with the American Committee for Devastated France uh, after World War I, or during and after World War I. And she was awarded the French Legion of Honor for her good citizenship, activism, and philanthropy. Hmm. In 1985, she was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. And she has been portrayed many times on stage and screen. There is the Broadway musical from 1960, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, uh, in which... Tammy Grimes won a Tony Award for her performance. Uh, And then there was the Oscar-winning movie that was based on the musical from 1964, starring Debbie Reynolds, uh, for which Reynolds received an Academy Award nomination. And a bunch of others. Kathy Bates, of course, played her in the 1997 Titanic, uh, among others. (laughs) Um, there, There are a number of different ones. Uh, that are either about the Titanic or about Molly Brown herself, or just she's kind of tangentially there. So that's Molly Brown. Yeah. Or really Margaret Molly Brown.
1: That's awesome. I knew her name and that was about it. Um, so this was great. Thank you.
0: You are welcome. Are you ready for a quiz?
1: I hope I'm ready for a quiz.
0: Sure. Uh, it's just, it's about stuff that is tangentially related to things in the deep dive. Uh, okay. It's not particularly themed in any way. So, here we go. Starting with zero points, which I know is weird for you. That might cause some anxiety, but you'll you'll be Mm -hmm. okay. I've done it plenty of times. You'll be okay. First question. Molly Brown became known as unsinkable after her experience on the RMS Titanic. I am pretty sure I've asked this before in a deep dive, but what were the names of the other two ships of the same class? One makes sense, given the country of origin, and the other makes sense in as a relation to the Titanic. So you'll get five points a piece for each ship and an extra two, if you give me the name of the line, of like the company, that they were all part of the same line.
1: Um, uh, I don't think I'm gonna get the extra two for sure. Was the Olympic?
0: The Olympic was one. The one that yeah. actually, yes, the one that survived and was, like, retired at at an appropriate time.
1: Okay. All right, the country of origin. So I think we're looking for something England-related, but I can't, like, I vaguely remember being like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's say, it doesn't feel quite right. Um, There's a part of me that wants to say Britannic, but I don't think that's, let's say Britannia.
0: You should have said Britannic.
1: Ah oh, darn it.
0: Yeah. So you do know them. It is the all Olympic right. and the Britannic.
1: Ah, uh, I was like, it's too rhymey.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> know, but that's well, what got- it is. <laughs> like they're yeah. all they're all part of the same line. So yes, the Britannic, which actually was originally named the Gigantic, but <laughs> with the Titanic sinking on its maiden voyage, they were like, let's let's try something different. <laughs> that feels unlucky. Yeah. Now, so they renamed it the Britannic. It never actually uh, made any profit because before it was fully uh, like rigged out, it was commandeered by the British Navy uh, to serve as a hospital ship, and then it was sunk mm. uh, during World War One. Uh, the Olympic, however, carried passengers and made mm. money for the White Star Line, uh, which is the the company. Uh, the official name is the Oceanic Steam Navigation Company or White Star Line of Boston Packets. But usually it's just referred to as the White Star Line. Mm-hmm. So that would have been the extra two points. Yes, there are All three right. three ships in that class. Titanic, Britannic, and Olympic. Okay, question two. So you got five points. You got five All points. Right. Question two. Molly Brown was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame in 1985. Other members of that illustrious body include internationally famous women such as Madeleine Albright and Golda Meir. I am not sure, but they are. Um, However, most are locally or nationally famous, uh, such as Judy Gaskill, who was an outdoors woman and organizer of the Colorado Trail, Mary Elich Long, notable businesswoman and one of the original owners of Denver's primary amusement park, Elich Gardens, and this woman, a doctor of animal science and a professor at Colorado State University, best-selling author and consultant to the livestock industry on animal behavior, who also speaks on representation and acceptance of neurodivergent people.
1: Oh, it must be Temple Grandin.
0: It is Temple Grandin. That is correct. Yes. Uh, yeah, she is one of the more recent inductees into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. But yeah, she teaches at Colorado State. Hmm. I think she good still does. I'm pretty sure she still does, yeah. But she's been for a bit. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Temple Grandin. She's awesome. Check her out if yeah. you haven't. You can find some good TED Talks from her. Also, she has autism, yeah. I believe. So that's why she speaks about it. Yeah. With absolute authority. <laughs> uh, all right, so you have 15 points. Question three. Molly Brown began her Colorado life in Leadville. Leadville is historically significant for for the region, given the importance of mining in the settlement and development by white immigrants. One of those immigrant families became one of the wealthiest in the world. Later generations became known for their philanthropy in diverse areas such as modern art and aviation, including several museums. In New York, Bilbao, a future one in Abu Dhabi, among others. What is the name of that family?
1: Hmm... Is it Guggenheim?
0: It is Guggenheim.
1: Yes! Uh.
0: Yes. The Guggenheim family made their first fortune out here in Leadville mining and smelting.
1: Huh. I did not know that. I
0: yeah. didn't know that either. I like I was like looking at Leadville stuff as I was doing this. I was like, no way! Hmm. Huh. I never would have thought that. Uh but yeah that's where they where they got their start. All right, you are at 25 points and question 4. JJ Brown worked for the Ibex Mining Company. An Ibex is an animal found in the mountains of Asia, Europe and northeastern Africa. It belongs to the genus Capra, which we usually call
1: what? Goats. goats. Right?
0: Those are goats. Goat, goat, goat. Go, yeah. Goats. I just remember i just saw ibex mining company i was like oh yeah ibex that's a trivial one people like to ask mm-hmm. so listeners ibexes are goats
1: yep ibises are birds
0: right <laughs> <laughs> which is definitely not confusing at all yep uh you're at 35 points question Yay. five molly brown has been portrayed on screen in more than just the oscar nominated movie in fact the same actress played the role of Molly Brown in two different settings, first in the ABC show Telephone Time in 1957, and then 22 years later in the British-American television movie SOS Titanic. This actress had a career that spanned seven decades, including roles on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Young Frankenstein, Malcolm in the Middle, the movie *Beerfest*, Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky, And, as Jack Black's love interest in the movie-within-a-show, Mrs. Albert Hannaday in the stress-release episode of Season 5 of The Office. Who was this acclaimed comedian and actress who died just about a year ago on January 27th,
1: 2021? Oh, goodness. Um uh i feel like i remember her dying but now all my brain is giving me is betty white um, oh because uh, it's so recent yeah it's so heartbreaking uh, yeah um i mean it's possible that the, that the death that i'm trying to remember may may not even be the right one right um yeah, I don't know. I'm going to say B. Arthur rather than not saying anything, but I don't think that's correct.
0: It is not B. Arthur. It is Cloris Leachman. Oh, yeah. That shocked me because I know, like, I only really know Cloris Leachman from, like, comedy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. she was Frau Blucher in Young Frankenstein, um, among, you know, other roles. Mm-hmm. And she played Molly Brown twice. <laughs> like in Yeah. Two different settings. Apparently she was just so good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah Yeah. that's cloris leachman all right you are at 35 points going into the final and the final is broadway musicals
1: all right i'm normally good at broadway musicals but like i'm a little nervous about this because
0: you're just gun shy i get it
1: yeah something about this one's making me a little nervous let's let's wager 30 i'll hold five back
0: okay so for a total of 65 if you get it right Here it is. The film version of The Unsinkable Molly Brown, starring Debbie Reynolds in the title role, found a good deal of success, including an Academy Award nomination for her. However, it had some controversy surrounding the casting, as well as the score and songs, which left out much of what had been composed for the stage musical. The scoring was done by Meredith Wilson, who is probably best known today as the composer of what other very famous musical it features the most annoying song ever performed and the moral lesson that even a complete charlatan grifter can have it all as long as he is a charming white man
1: i was i was like oh no until until we got to the end of the question um is it the music man it is
0: the music man yes i don't know why that musical has persisted
1: which one is the most annoying song? Gary,
0: Indiana. It is absolutely awful. I hate I think, it. I, I hate think it. you might be right. I hate yeah. it so no, much. Gary,
1: Gary, Indiana is an annoying song.
0: Yes. And also the performance is annoying. Like it's supposed to be annoying and it makes me so mad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, you did it. You got it. Yes. It is Yay! the music man. Meredith Wilson apparently did stuff other than the music man, which I'm always shocked when I... It, I shouldn't be because, like, Meredith a Wilson. The person did a, things other like, than the yeah, one like, thing had, had a career most famous for. <laughs> or whatever, but it's always like, I know Meredith Wilson from The Music Man, and then I see other <laughs> things, and I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah. So there you go. Good to know. All right. Well, you ended with 65 points. That is respectable indeed
1: yeah um well this was this was delightful uh so thank you and thank you listeners for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um if you could leave us a rating or a review that would be very much appreciated if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who are into jeopardy let them know about our podcast
0: that's right you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent one our email address is potent at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com
1: that's right and we'll be back next week with another week of jeopardy and until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker